It's Super Bowl week, and we're joined from the belly of the beast by none other than the ringer's Danny Kelly, who is in L.A. to cover the big game. Join us as we discuss the vibe down there, break down how the Bengals and Rams match up, give our predictions on the game, and what the Seahawks need to do to join the party. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my incredible producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We are super, Jackson. We are super. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great, man. I am jacked for today's show because we got the amazing Danny Kelly joining us straight up from Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Danny, what's up? What's going on, guys? How are you doing? Great, man. Really stoked to have you. I know you're in high demand this week, so thank you for making the time. (laughs) No problem. Uh, Yeah, I'm just sitting here on Radio Row and Pat McAfee's show is going on like right in front of me and... Wiz Khalifa just got done doing a concert, I believe. So that just kind of lays out the scene for you. If you hear chanting and cheering, that's what that is. Wait, you you believe he just got done with the show, or you believe that was Wiz Khalifa? The latter. I, I, it's kind of far away. <laughs> I, I can't actually hear the music, but I hear people cheering and whatnot. Um, and that now he's like going through the crowd and glad-handing everybody. It's cool. Well, I think that gives us a, a decent slice <laughs> of what your life is like this week. But tell us, what's it like, man, being at the biggest sporting event in America in Los Angeles, of all places? Yeah, it's super cool. Um, well, first of all, we got to go to the new Spotify offices the other day, which was really fun because they have like these whole new, brand new setups for recording podcasts. So we got to record our podcast there a couple times. That was really fun. Um, and then, yeah, we've just been hanging out on Radio Row. It is a madhouse. It's probably not quite as busy as it has been in the past just because um, I think so many people have, like, headquarters in L.A. that, you know, you don't need to, like, go to the convention center to, like, broadcast when you're ESPN and you have a headquarters. Like, and they're, they're at, like, Disneyland or something doing their stuff. So um, it's, it's a little bit quieter than normal, but it's getting much busier as the week goes on. So... Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. You see like all these celebrities cycle through and, um, Kevin, one of my colleagues talked to like Justin Herbert, Joe Montana, um, a whole bunch of people today. And he's going to talk to a couple more people tomorrow. Uh, saw Debo Samuel wandering around. Um, oh, he talked to DK Metcalf today, which was great. I, I saw have, that. I've not heard, I, I haven't heard that. the interview yet, but, um, he said he was, uh, he said it was great, great guest. And trying to think of other people i saw but yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun there's just like random celebrities walking around with their entourage including mina kimes <laughs> who i just saw so for she didn't have her entourage uh she was just going solo so that was fun it would make sense to, that she would be there since her team's finally back in the super bowl <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny it was like uh you know mina she she like needs like her little entourage to like kind of keep people because like if she walks through here every person that sees her is coming over and like hey come be on my pod so um, she had to she had to bounce real quick. We would never do that. <laughs> it's funny because the Super Bowl happens, and and it's not like they're doing um in small cities normally, but it's not L.A. Right? It's it's Tampa Bay, it's Minnesota, it's Indianapolis, it's Phoenix. Great cities in their own right, but L.A. is such a hub. I'm yeah. I'm just kind of fascinated by. I mean, it would be wild on its own to have the Super Bowl there, but even crazier having the home team there. We, I mean, we went 52 Super Bowls without uh, team hosting yeah. their, their own Super Bowl. Now we've had two in a row. But do you get the sense, I mean, the Rams haven't been in L.A. for that long. We saw a million Niners fans during the NFC Championship game. Have you got a sense that this is like a home field advantage for Los Angeles? That's a good question. I have seen way more Rams jerseys, I think, than I've seen Bengals jerseys. But... I think it's going to be um, just talking to people like around. It's 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 definitely not like a you know super Rams fans for life type deal here yet. It's just like they're you know the te- I think the t- the city's still welcoming them them and trying to figure out you know who they love. But like a lot of people just have other like San Francisco fans are huge here, um, tons and tons of 49er fans. Um, so it's like you know they just came over. Obviously they were here back in the 80s or whenever it was. Um, but coming from St. Louis, it's, uh, there's not a lot of like, I don't know, like homegrown fandom here. I think it's just kind of like, oh, they're good. This is fun. 
I know that there are a lot of there are a good amount of Rams fans here, but I think it's just like you know that that is a specific sort of scenario that that sort of like dampens it a little. Sure, and and I mean you've been down there for a few days, and it's natural that early on in the process the home team is going to overrepresent because they don't got to travel. But I'll be curious to see here over the next few days as the Bengals fans come in because. They've been waiting their whole life. I mean, they've been waiting since the Chris Collinsworth era to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I imagine we'll start to see a bunch more show up here. But oh, yeah. I do want to get to the I do want to get to the game because, I mean, obviously, you know, we we follow the Seahawks. We, we they're the team that occupies most of our uh, attention. But as a pure football fan, this is a really cool matchup. I mean, mm-hmm. the Rams and the Bengals are extremely interesting teams to me. They're teams that have got here from a franchise organizational standpoint from very different approaches. You've got the Rams who are just like, fuck the draft. We're <laughs> going to go get great players. And we're going to make this fuck happen. Actually, I actually want to talk a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk, talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But on the other side, you've got the Bengals who are like years ahead of schedule here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where – they are riding young talent that have been drafted in the last few years. They're at the superstar positions. Joe Burrow at quarterback, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins at wide receiver, Joe Mixon at running back. I mean, they've got great players elsewhere, but the needle movers are at sort of the fantasy football positions. And it's hard to imagine a fan base with reason to be more excited about the future than Cincinnati. Yeah. I think people are already like, sort of looking at Joe Burrow as like a top three quarterback and and obviously there could be arguments whether he is that or not but like the fact that people are having this conversation having this discussion would you rather have Burrow or Herbert you know um is I think it's just indicative of like the the spot they are in like you said they're kind of like playing with house money because they weren't supposed to be this good this fast they've had um some high draft picks obviously that helps a lot um you know they've hit with those hat with those draft picks which is obviously huge and this is also kind of a good reminder um, that, you know, if you have one or two good drafts, like you can really write the ship really quickly. Um, you don't have to do like a 10 year rebuild, especially players. So high impact, like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. They also had a really good free agency, um, in this last off season, like a lot of their free agent signings hit really core pieces of their championship or like potential championship run here. Um, so I think it is just a, it's, it's a lesson. It's, it's probably an outlier. It's kind of like, it's the whole Josh Allen thing. It's like, you can turn around a team in an off season. Like it's possible. Um, Cause obviously they lost, they were like one of the worst teams in the NFL last year. Um, but it's also potentially like an outlier because they've had pretty much everything go right. Like Jamar chase, the greatest rookie receiver ever, maybe potentially. And then Joe Burrow obviously is living up to his billing. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's a cool story. I think that they, there's been so many instances along the way where you're like, they should not have won that game, but they just keep winning. They keep winning it. They keep winning. Like when they fell behind to the chiefs, it's like they're, they're finished. Um, but they got like, kind of like this magic to them. So, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I I really am. I really don't know how this game is going to go. I think it's going to be, uh, a low scoring affair, unfortunately, but I don't know. See, you think it's going to be low scoring low ish. I think it's, I think both teams are going to struggle to, uh, protect their quarterbacks. And so, um, I mean, I think particularly with the Rams pass rushing with, uh, you know, the Bengals offensive line, which is just not very good. It's not been good throughout the whole year or the playoffs. Um, you got, you know, uh, Von Miller, who is like turned into God mode during the playoffs. He's just like saving up his energy for the playoffs. And now he's like doubling his pressure rate and sack rate. And, um, you know, I think he's just been on a mission. And so obviously playing across from Aaron Donald, it's not like, the Bengals can really just like scheme something up. So I do worry that we're going to see a lot of, uh, for the Bengals, like early down running, trying to avoid sacks and then hoping Burrow can like pull something out of his ass. And I think that is going to be a little bit conducive to like a lower scoring game. And I, and I think that, uh, McVay, McVay doesn't seem like a guy who's going to like put his foot on the gas. If he has a lead, he's just going to like be conservative. So that's how I see this game playing out. The over-under is at 48 and a half, which mm-hmm. is pretty low for an NFL game. Are you taking the under? Mm-hmm. I think it was like 50 when it started, but unfortunately it's gone down. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's going to be, I predicted 21 to 19, which is probably a nonsensical score. I don't know if that, it's, it's 
kind of difficult to score 19 points. You're just points. a scoregami enthusiast. It's something along that yeah. vein. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's, a, that's a dumb prediction. Yeah, somebody's going to miss a two-point conversion is what's going to happen. <laughs> um, if, you're, as, you're as dialed as it gets. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. We talked about the Bengals and how they've really maximized the fact that they've drafted early. I mean, lots of teams have drafted yeah. early. You don't have to look any further than the Texans, the Jaguars, the Jets. Giants, these yep. are teams that are constantly picking in the top 10. They've sucked in the past. They still it. suck. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? And and these are high-risk picks too, right? We talk about the reward of getting them right, but, like, you're putting big contracts on these guys and tons of expectations to not get it right. I, I have personally had an issue with the Bengals because I see them as a deeply cheap organization, and I that frustrates me, right? Yep. Like, yep. I don't want to see cheap ownership – rewarded because all I want as a sports fan and why we were so lucky to have Paul Allen as the owner of the Seahawks for so long is I want to see an owner that really, really cares about winning. That being said, removing the ownership aspect and the fact that they're giving all their press conferences from like behind a seventh grade projector set. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) And they have like a middle school weight room that like, you know, their front office is kicking ass. They're they're making the most of it. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Rams who mm. have done the exact opposite. And look, the second that they signed Jared Goff to the most expensive quarterback contract in the NFL and gave Todd Gurley the most expensive running back contract in the NFL, I was like, this is dumb and it's going to bite them in the ass and this is bad process. Mm-hmm. And it was dumb and it did bite them in the ass. But it hasn't stopped them from just trading first-round picks and going out and getting Jalen Ramsey and going out and getting Odell Beckham Jr. and Von Miller and Matthew Stafford and on and on. And those are the players, along with Aaron Donald and a few others. That's the reason they're there. And it's almost kind of inspiring to not be banking on collegiate players to hit and become great NFL pros. They're saying, fuck the draft. We're going to win on day two and day three as best as we can. We're right. just going to go get good players. And now for all the talk of them being in salary cap hell, the Gurley and Goff contracts come off the books this year. They're still somehow incredibly going to have some money to spend this year. How do you feel about how the Rams have approached building this team? Yeah, and I think they have a few picks too. Like they, They're going to get some comp picks. They're going to have... I don't know. It's not nothing in the early rounds, but they're going to have a bunch in the later rounds. So not for long. They're as good as gone. <laughs> right. That's probably true. But yeah, no, I think uh, there, I think it's really this Super Bowl is a good narrative because it, like you said, it's two different ways to like build a team, to build a potential championship team. And you know, the, the Bengals have done it primarily through the draft. Obviously they, they did have good free agent class, but it's not like they're spending like, you know, as much money as some of these other big teams and, or using those draft picks to trade for guys. Um, it's more organic and I've, I've always like, this goes back to the last like 10 years. I've kind of had this theory that cause the Bengals have three scouts, like a lot of teams have three scouts per region. You know what I mean? And so, um, number one, it might kind of clarify things for them. It might make things a little bit like just simpler in the, in the decision-making process because there's not like a thousand people saying we like this guy, but I think it's also my theory is just kind of like, maybe they just like listen to the you know the 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 consensus a little bit more like the um like maybe they just look at honestly look at like draft twitter and like say like who do you who do these guys like this is like the the knowledge base of like the entire internet the you know it, maybe you're saying they're reading us. your your mock drafts at the ringer yeah they're just hey, dialed listen, in listen listen mike i'm glad you mentioned it i know a lot of people listening are familiar with this already i Danny does the best pre-draft coverage of anyone I've ever read. And I am like a total draft honk. I love diving in. I love the perspective uh, fits for different players with different teams and all of that stuff. And I've read a bunch of it and nobody touches Danny's coverage for it. It's a combination of like, I appreciate that. The like elite research, elite research, the, the type that has made Danny so successful but your way of describing players and how they play is like like weird stuff unparalleled yeah. man yeah 
I try not to. I try to make it like it's sort of readable because a lot of times, you know, scouting reports, it's a lot of um, when you're putting together scouting reports, and I'm guilty of this too. It's like this, a lot of the guys do the same things. You know what I mean? It's like this guy's really fast. Like, yeah, a lot of NFL players are really fast, um, or players that are going into the NFL. So you have to kind of like try and figure out ways to make it a little bit more interesting, I think. And so that's what I've been trying to do. Um, I do appreciate that a lot. Uh, I would not say I'm the best, I, and I'm definitely a little bit late compared to everybody else, but um, definitely ramping up now and trying to get all these out. But, um, yeah, no, I, I'm kind of serious. Like, I think the, the Bengals are sort of like the wisdom of crowds, and then we'll, like, make our decision from there and, like, kind of, like, go for it. But, like, every year the Bengals have, the, like, Draft Twitter's favorite class. Like, they love all the Bengals picks. It's, like, happens every freaking year. So um, there, maybe there's something to that. Maybe it's actually, like, a good process to have fewer guys. Um fewer voices in the room and maybe just like trust the people that you actually have in there and so i think that's interesting i'm sure it has nothing to do with them wanting to save money <laughs> yeah sure uh it's that's the other thing is like maybe it's just lucky but i also do think it's like it is a good illustration of there are many ways to win this league you can build through the draft you can build through big name free agency trades there's just different ways to do it um there's no just like one way to build a championship team i mean it's just like every year something different so I think that's like a good lesson to remember. It's like obviously I think the one of the most tried and true ways is to build through the draft and sign your own guys. But like this is what the Packers do famously, right? How many Super Bowls do the Packers have in the last 20 years with Hall of Fame quarterbacks? Like one or two or however many. So it's like, you know, that's not necessarily the only way to do it. Well, and, and that's – one of the things that makes this matchup so interesting is it's two completely different approaches to building a team. And don't get me wrong, this playoffs has come down to a series of coin flips, both literally and figuratively. I mean, every every game for the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, which I think is 10 games, have all come down to one possession, and many of them have come down to the very last play of the game. So we really are talking about a made field goal here, a coin toss there, a dropped interception here. Like it's so crazy. Yes. The bank, the Bengals and the Rams have made to the Super Bowl, but we tend to put so much emphasis on the legacy of players, coaches, teams on how many playoff games they win, whether they make it to the Super Bowl, whether they win the Super Bowl. But this year, more than any, I can remember is a reminder that once you get, to the postseason and really once you get past the first week of the postseason there is a lot of luck involved oh yeah oh yeah um i mean there's like you could point to probably like 50 different plays where it's like if that play would have gone differently this game would have like ended with a different winner you know what i mean um so Mm -hmm. it's just it that's the other thing too like when we're talking about all these narratives at the super bowl i'm always reminded like not to really try and take away too too much from the teams that are in the Super Bowl because it's like any like any one or two plays along the way and it could have been the Titans it could have been you know the Chiefs probably should have been in the Super Bowl right so um 21 to 3 yeah absolutely that's crazy it's like what since when is like you know dropping eight and and that's gonna like completely neutralize Patrick Mahomes for two quarters it's just bizarre yeah yep totally so we do have the two teams that we have and very, very dynamic. Are there any particular matchups in the way, whether we're talking about individual versus individual or scheme versus scheme that you're really keying on and saying, this is what's going to decide this game? I mean, the, the most obvious one to me is, uh, is the Bengals offensive line against Donald and Floyd and Von Miller. Like, I, I just don't understand how they're going to really like mitigate that because they just, man, the, the Rams defense line is so good. Um, so I think that's going to be the first thing that's like going to be the most obvious when, when the game starts. Like, how are they doing that? How are they going to try and get around it? <clears throat> um, you know, are they going to try and run a bunch on first down? Because that was like a huge thing they did in that last game. Is just like run on first down, run on first down, run on first down. We'd rather gain zero yards and take a sack, essentially. And then you're relying on Joe Burrow again to like pull a rabbit out of a hat, and he does that a lot. Um, but I don't know if you can necessarily count on it for like a, a third or fourth straight game. So. Um, yeah, I, that that's the main one, and then of course, obviously, you know, uh, Jalen Ramsey against Cooper Cup or whoever they end up. Um, sorry, no, Jalen Ramsey against uh, Jamar Chase, and then you know how that goes down if they chase, if they have chase, if they chase Chase, if they travel with Chase, 
Um, I think that's going to be like really interesting to see, and I think T. Higgins could have a big day if that's the case. Let's start with the Rams, and you're looking at this Bengals team, and you're the defensive coordinator. What is it that you're looking to neutralize the most? Like, Are you putting most of your emphasis into pressuring Burrow if it comes at the risk of leaving Chase or Higgins or Boyd on an island? Or is it, let's take away their receivers and we're going to trust that we win up front and neutralize the run game? Yeah, I think it, it's, I think they're probably rushed with four because they can, you know? And I think that they're going to probably try and bracket Chase because, like, the big play is just so killer. And it's like, it goes back to, like, Pete Carroll, what he said all the time. Like, if you can create these explosive plays, like, the odds that you'll score on that drive are exponentially higher. And so um, I think that they're going to probably rush with four and do a good job of it and just try and match up downfield. And I think, Obviously, when you have a guy like uh, Jalen Ramsey who can lock down a, like one of your top players, or maybe not lock down, but like definitely mitigate what he can do, you know that that puts a lot of the onus on these other guys. And so again, it's like T. Higgins, can he step up? C.J. Uh, Uzoma, I mean, is he even going to play? I don't know. And then um, you know, obviously Mixon, if he can run, I, I, that, I don't know if I really trust them to run the ball either. So all these reasons are kind of like why I keep coming back to the Rams, but. Um, you know, obviously weirder things have happened, but I think that's just going to be a big problem with, with the front, the defensive line just creating so much havoc and not giving Burrow time to do what he typically does. Yeah, so so if I'm hearing you right, and you're you're calling the Rams 21-19, to 19, Matt. <laughs> sure. Weird score. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Because, okay, so if – if you're the Bengals and and you're looking at this Rams offense, you've got Stafford who has been great at times, mystifying at others, but you've got a receiving core that is terrifying, right? Cooper Cup is probably the best not not probably he was the best non-quarterback offensive player in the NFL this year. Odell Beckham looks like early career Odell Beckham. If you're the Bengals, how are you trying to neutralize the Rams? that's a good question um you know obviously it's funny because the the first thing that comes to my mind is like make Stafford make a mistake you know make him turn it over if you can get Stafford to turn the ball over like that's huge that's going to be a big key to the game I think if Stafford plays clean and doesn't turn the ball over the Rams will win so obviously the big thing is can you can you get him to turn it over uh the Bengals have forced a lot of turnovers this postseason yeah and, I mean, they're a really good defense. They're getting hot at the right time. You know, they're all playing together. Um, but I just don't think – like, this defense is not as good as the Rams' offense, I think. However, um, the way that they're going to go about doing that, I don't think they can blitz. The problem is, like, Stafford has been incredible against the blitz this year. Like, one of the best, if not the best, quarterback against the blitz all season long in the playoffs. Like, it's almost like he wants you to blitz because you're taking one guy out of coverage and he knows where to go with football. He's got, like, this automatic get-open guy – in Cooper Cup. I saw somewhere that Cooper Cup against man coverage this year is averaging like four point something yards per route run, which is like if you're over Jesus. two if you're over two, that's like you're an elite player. Um this is against man coverage. So obviously um when you're blitzing a lot of times they'll like try and just like, you know, match up with you there and, and, and go from there instead of trying to play a bunch of guys in zones. Um so I don't know. It's gonna be really interesting. I think they're not gonna blitz a lot because I think that's that would be playing right into their the, the Rams strengths. So um, maybe they'll do the thing they did last week, which was, again, I don't know, because, like, it's going to take some sort of miracle, it feels like. The, last week it was the uh, the Bengals decided to drop eight, which is, like, we always yell at, the, like, the TV, like, stop rushing three, like, you idiots. Like, what are you doing, you know? Like, that's, yeah. like, why are you rushing three? Like, my dad always says this. He hates when teams rush three, and, you know, so that's, Ken like. Norton's the, vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they did this, and it like completely, it completely confounded Patrick Mahomes. It completely confounded the best quarterback on the planet. Like, how the hell does that happen? Um, so I don't know if they're going to do that plan exactly, because I'm sure the Rams are going to be ready for it, ready to have like quick hitting plays to get the ball out. You know, they're going to be like, also they're really good at running the ball. Right. Too. That that's the other thing is like if you if you're rushing three, if you're like playing in that tight front where you just have like three guys bunched together, they can run to the outside. They're pretty good at that. Um, and, you know, you can just run them out of it, essentially. So, yeah, I don't know. It, this is, again, it's like a chess match. But I think really what the Bengals have to do is, like, come up with something cool. <laughs> like what Belichick did a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl, which is just, well, in this case, it was 
drop six guys onto the line of scrimmage and completely fuck up their offense. Um, it, it like completely took them out of their offense. Um, so I don't know what that's going to be. I wish I knew. I'm sure that Sean McVay wishes he knew what they were going to do. Um, but they need to come up with something, I think, to uh, you know basically confuse Stafford, make him throw some bad throws. He's you know he's got them in him. He likes to make bad throws. Um, I love Stafford, but he's definitely like, man, he'll just like huck it up sometimes. It's like, what are you seeing? So, oftentimes, at the last game of the year, when coaches and coordinators are most desperate to win, sometimes you can bring in a player that you've stashed on the roster, somebody who's a little unheralded, someone who's ready to kind of take their opponents by surprise. Think uh, Chris Matthews in Super Bowl 49, the game that we do not discuss. Do you think to combat that dynamic, multifaceted Rams offense that this is the week that the Cincinnati Bengals deploy their secret weapon in Trey Flowers? <laughs> I swear to God, he, he I'm made... going to find a new producer. <laughs> Didn't he make a pretty good play last week against uh, against Travis Kelsey? I, I, I am happy I am happy to see him thrive. Oh, yeah. dude, I yeah. need Super Bowl champion Trey Flowers before too. the Seahawks can make it back to the championship round. I need it badly. I, I, I do, too. Okay, so... You know, nothing obviously would make me happier than to see Sean McVay confounded once again by a different team in the Super Bowl uh, because I am a selfish Seahawks <laughs> fan. And reminds me that one of the 30 teams not playing in the Super Bowl is the Seattle Seahawks, who are coming off their worst season in a decade. Danny, in your opinion, how far away are they from being involved in this game? And yeah, what do you think they got to do to close the gap between them and teams like the Bengals and the Rams? Man, I don't think the way that they played this year, obviously, I mean, this is sort of stating the obvious that they were a Super Bowl team, but I don't really also think that they're that far away either. You know, um, I think and I was alluding to this early in the season, early in the pod and, and the, the Patriots did this. It's like they turned their season around going from like last year to this year because they had a really good draft class. They hit on like their first three picks and they found a couple of really key free agents that like fit their off or fit their defense and, and made everything fit together. I think it's definitely within the realm of possibility that the Seahawks get back to like Super Bowl caliber team. I don't think they're that far off. I think especially if you keep Russell Wilson and if you don't keep Russell Wilson, then it's a whole different discussion. But if you keep Russell Wilson um, and, you know, actually make a few good free agent signings and, and, you see development from some of these guys maybe hit on your first couple of picks and because they're going to be picking earlier in the rounds, that's definitely going to help. Obviously they're not picking in the first round, but they're going to be picking quite a bit earlier in the second, third, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I, I think that like I'm actually ended the season. Um, and I know that this is, I know that this is like, you know, small sample and probably a dangerous thing to like believe, but like the way that they were playing late in the season you know, I think that they're like closer than we thought for much of the season. Obviously, like Russell Wilson breaking his finger is not going to help anything. Um, and, you know, their defense was not very good for most of the season. And maybe they switch things up. It sounds like they want to switch things up with the way that they play, get more aggressive, things like that. The, the staff isn't completely set yet, but um, I don't know. This is obviously me probably being a little bit of a homer, but I do think that they're not that close. Or, or they're, not, they're not that far off um, from being a pretty damn good team. So. Um, Spoken like a true acolyte of DVOA. <laughs> DVOA champs, baby. They were a top 10. I mean, come on. That's the thing. They were higher than the Rams in <laughs> DVOA this serious? year. serious? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty higher than the Rams. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, you know, and, and Danny, I know you and I have talked in Texas a lot throughout the season about yeah. the Seahawks, but. Our, our opinions have changed throughout the year, by the way. It, okay. For, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm not on the island because Mike has held the line throughout the season, biting his tongue as I have railed for dramatic change right. to the Seahawks organizational structure. And he kept pushing back on it like an idiot. So I thought, <laughs> but it turns out he yeah. is indeed the savant because now I've circled back to, you know what? I see a path for running it back and, and, sort of the whispers you hear out of the VMAC are that Pete Carroll is perhaps quite a bit more adaptable than I certainly have given him credit for, for the last couple of years. (laughs) They moved on from Ken Norton Jr. as their defensive coordinator, which if you only gave me one move, if you said the Seahawks are only going to make one structural move 
this year, what would you want it to be? That would have been my choice. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm happy to see it. And and here's the thing. Full disclosure, it's more of an aesthetic uh, preference than anything else. There's an argument to be made for, you know, the fact that they didn't allow a whole lot of points. But they also didn't turn the ball over. They didn't sack the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, finally, we saw the team score a shit ton of points at the end of the season. Are we talking fool's gold or do we see a chance where that offense that we saw the last two games against the Cardinals and the Lions mm-hmm. continue into next year? The second year of Shane Waldron, assuming Russell Wilson is back, and then also getting a more dynamic defense because the NFC is wide open. Right. Well, that's the other thing is like there's no quarterbacks left in the NFC, apparently. It's going to be very interesting what happens with Russell Russell Wilson, obviously. Um, I said from the very beginning that I think he should stay. Like, I, it doesn't make any sense for them to like get rid of Russell Wilson and trade him. If they if he does demand a trade, I guess there's nothing they can do about it. But um, I don't understand why they would trade him. I think it makes no sense. So um, I'm hoping they keep Wilson. I think, um, God, I know. And again, this is like maybe we'll look back on this in, in like six months or when, whenever the season starts, and like we think we're that we're idiots. But like I really want them to re-sign Rashad Penny. Like I think he brings something that like. Chris Carson doesn't and any of the other running backs. How crazy of a sentence is that? I know, right? Um, you're finally starting to see like the the vision, I think, that John Schneider and Pete Carroll had when they drafted him in the first round, even though everybody panned it, and including me. And um, I mean, there were moments during his career, and, and Jackson, again, you'd, you'd attest to this, like where I was like, I don't see any – I don't see why they drafted this guy. Like he just played sucks. Like even – that was like when he was healthy. Um, but there was – but then – I think he was actually not completely healthy. That's the problem. He's been, like, fighting all these nagging injuries throughout his whole career. Um, and I don't remember the exact timeline, but there was a moment there right before he tore his ACL where he was starting to really – it was like, whoa, okay, now I see it. He's creating these explosive plays. He's got really, really fast feet. And I've told you this, Jackson. He really reminds me of Debo Samuel. I know that that's, like, high praise. But, like, the thick body type but, like, really, really fast feet, um, he kind of gives them that dynamic where it's like you give this ball – you give the ball to this guy – and he's going to create explosive plays. Like, and if you're creating explosive plays on the ground, fucking run it. That's great. Like, I'm just sick of seeing them like bang their head against the wall, two and three yard gains on early downs. Like, if you give this guy the ball and they create explosive plays, I'm all for balance. I'm all for running the ball. Um, it helps Wilson, honestly. I think because you, then you can play run. You can do more play action. You can do more misdirection, um, and it all kind of like marries together. It's exactly what the Rams do. So, I don't know. I, I maybe this is just me drinking the Kool Aid. Who knows? We'll, we'll look back and maybe, you know, Penny gets hurt in week two, and, and then we're like, we're idiots. Why do we think that? But I really do think with the way that Penny was running, if they get Chris Carson back or whoever, they have some um, somebody else that kind of like get, can be like an early down banger, like give him some some rest and everything. But uh, I, I really do think that they have like the tools and the pieces to get there. They do have to like do something about their offensive line, though. That's, that's kind of like my main priority for this offseason is like, you know, Dwayne Brown's a free agent. Resign him. And then maybe like a uh, like a top tier free agent at one of the positions, maybe it's right tackle, whatever, uh, and and actually put some money and good like blue chip type players instead of trying to plug holes with like four low level free agents, just find one really right. good guy like Dwayne Brown, for instance. Like that was a great trade. Um, do that. Yeah. Do, do something like that of that caliber of player instead of trying to like Luke Jokel it or you know whatever. It's like uh, I'm sick of that. I just want them to like actually kind of like. And honestly, I think this is maybe what Russell Wilson is thinking too. Is like if I exert some of my pressure, trade rumors, things like that, maybe he can have a little more agency to get like what they want going on the offensive line. Because I know that I'm pretty sure the offensive line is like a big priority for him. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned it because I don't think Russell Wilson's goal is to leave Seattle. I think Russell Wilson's goal is to make Seattle better and stay there and win a, another Super Bowl here. And you know. Frankly, it's like, yeah, exactly what you're talking about. You try and bring in a bunch of cheap guys, and then we'll start the best one. It'd be great if you brought in four shitty guards, and then they could all play at the same time at guard. But they can't. You have to pick the best of the shitty guards to put out there. And it would just be great to see them invest. For the first time, they have money to spend in a long time. Mm -hmm. They actually have money to spend. I'd love to see them put it up front and just say, yeah, we got two or three blue chips up front. 
everybody's offensive scheme looks awesome when your O-line is kicking ass. So I, I obviously would love to see that. But to your point about Rashad Penny, you mentioned how he played right before he tore the ACL. We're focusing a lot on his last five games, which was like maybe the best five-game stretch any running back had in the entire NFL this year. That includes Jonathan Taylor. That includes pre-injury Derrick Henry. But his two games before that ACL tear, he had 290 total yards and three touchdowns. So if you're talking full strength Rashad Penny, you're looking at a seven-game stretch with like 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns or something crazy like that. Like yeah. he, he really is doing big-time work when he's fully healthy. So I, I'd like to see him back. I saw – I don't have the stat in front of me. I'm trying to see if I can find it really quickly. But there, there's a, a tweet that I saw that was basically like, these are the games in which Rashad Penny has had 14 carries. I, I, I'm just like sort of uh, paraphrasing. I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but it was like, and then here are his fantasy points. And it was like 28, 28, 27, 32. Like it was like incredible, incredible numbers. And this is again, like when he's healthy and when he's actually explosive, because I think a lot of the um, negative sort of feelings I had about Penny early in his career is because he was just battling injuries, man. He just was like, slow or he was trying to get back into shape or he was trying to like get through a hamstring injury or a foot injury or whatever um and so when we've seen him like relatively healthy as he was this uh, this season and again there was a couple times here where i was like oh god he got up he's awkward there he like jogged off he limped off and i'm like oh crap it's happening again and to his credit he toughed it out and stayed in the games and looked really really good so i mean you know knock on wood but maybe he's just finally over the hump i I do think a lot of these injuries were sort of just bad luck like the acl injury that doesn't have anything to do with anything else he broke his hand before he came into the league i think and that set him back um things like that where it's just like random weird stuff that just bad luck um and so i think you know again this is a guy that had one of the most productive college careers of any back ever he was a really really good kick and punt returner um so that shows kind of like his dynamism his ability to like pick a lane and explode and uh, annihilate pursuit angles, which is what we see as his running style. Um, so I know I'm probably getting way too excited about Rashad Penny, but like he looked incredible. He, he looked like legit, really, really freaking good. And so maybe there's this chance that he could just have this late career, like bloom or whatever, because he just was hurt the first four years of his career. So I just think that's in the realm of possibility. It's something that could happen. Um, I don't think they need to spend a ton of money for it to happen either. I, I really don't think he's going to be, fetching all that much money because of his injury history and just because of the position in general. Um, so it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there it's, it's not a hard story to tell where the Seahawks win a bunch of games next year and are one of the favorites going into the playoffs and the NFC is wide open. And if this year showed us anything, randomness is King. Once you get to the eight best teams, it really comes down to a series of random choices. Before that, I do think the talent wins out, but I don't think that once you're into the divisional round, the best quote unquote teams are the ones that are winning every week. It's the, the margin between them is so small that the natural randomness of football comes into play as crazy as this sounds to me. If, you had told me at almost any point this season that Seattle would be largely running it back next year. I'd be pretty disappointed and I'm kind of psyched. So that's good. (laughs) Ah, Yeah. 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 Fuck you, Mike. Uh, I know. I know you win. You win on this. You, you held the faith, man. You held the line. I gotta say, I gotta say, and, and off the, for those listening off the air, like, Mike is so good at just letting me spout my bullshit. But off the air, he's like, man, I think you're wrong about this. And he was right on this. It's been really fun because anytime the Seahawks, you know, make any decision, you know, fire Ken Norton, the the jargon that they're using, talking about they want to get back to an aggressive defense. I just I send a little text to Jackson kind of narrating his thought processes, just like you feel yourself being pulled back in ever so slightly. Time, yeah. You're furious about it. It <laughs> he does. Is. It and does. It makes me so mad that somehow you know me better than I know myself. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I feel like I feel like we recognize. I feel like we're being pretty open about the fact that we're maybe we're maybe gonna like this is maybe gonna bite us in the ass for like having hope and having this 
thought that maybe yeah we should run it back and and i think we're open about the idea that like this could definitely bite us in the ass oh this has tremendous potential for catastrophe i mean sure sure i think i think the next year is the referendum year right like this was the first bad year Mm -hmm. that Pete carroll and russell wilson have had so all right how how strong a conclusion do we draw ownership is clearly seen fit to keep it moving forward so this next year really is like if they struggle again then, all right, it, I think it's going to be pretty clear to everybody that it's time to make some dramatic changes. But, you know, there have been a lot of really good teams that have had one bad year because of whatever reason. They bounce back, and they're excellent the next year. And and the more I watch this head coaching carousel that's happening this offseason, the more I appreciate how good Pete Carroll is at a lot of things. I'm, I'm pretty hard on him for in-game stuff. And, and that ne- hasn't necessarily changed, but all of the out-of-game stuff, which is a huge part of the job, and NFL head coach is one of the weirdest, hardest jobs on the planet. He's really, really good at it. So, all right, one more year, Pete. Who is who is good at in-game stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you asked any given, uh, you know, if you asked any given. Like Shanahan sucks at it. McVay sucks at it. Reed sucks at it. Was Zach Taylor the best coach in the final four in in-game decision making? <laughs> Definitely not. I mean, like Belichick is even Bel- Belichick is probably like the you know the best at it or whatever. But like, good luck finding another Belichick. You know. Yeah, I think I think the best in-game coach is John Harbaugh. And when's the last time he was in a Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is that, the hard that's part the about. Uh, yeah. This is the hard part about football. I think is, and I kind of look at it like. Um, you have to like zoom out a little bit further, I think, to like really get a good picture of how good a team is. It's not just like a week to week thing. It's not just a, even an, a one year thing. It's like you really do have. It's like the stock market. Like you have to zoom out a little bit and like see that like oh the lines are still generally going up. Like this year it was down bad, but like generally speaking, you know. I would say that everything is kind of like trending in the right direction. You know, again, it's not, I'm not necessarily just talking about wins, but like they are consistently competitive. They're consistently a team that has the ability to go to the playoffs and make some noise. I don't know if they're necessarily like the top team, but um, I don't know. It's just so easy to see a different coach coming in and basically just like fucking everything up. Um, Totally. So there is, there is some, I mean, again, like, and, and I'm acknowledging that there was times this season where I was just like, man, like Pete's lost it, you know, like the, the game is passing by or whatever, like something, anything different is better than this. Um, but I think when you zoom out a little bit and kind of like acknowledge um, number one, like the million things that a coach has to do and that a coach has to manage and that Pete Carroll is really good at a lot of those things, culture building, program building, um, you know, getting along with players, managing players, managing a big personalities, managing a guy like Russell Wilson, who is, um, you know, been kind of up and down lately about whether he wants to be a Seahawk, managing all these other guys throughout the years, obviously. And this is like the Mike Tomlin thing. Like now when, when you see Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger, you're like, holy shit, Tomlin was incredible that he was managing these big personalities. Tomlin, Tomlin is stone cold top five for me. Totally. And I'm now starting to realize this more with Pete Carroll. It's like, you look. <laughs> I'm with. I'm with a Steelers fan right now, and he's just nodding his head. Um, <laughs> Traitor. Yeah. Um, but anyway, when I look at Carroll, I'm like, man, he had to manage Richard Sherman, Doug Baldwin, and uh, you know, multiple other guys, Marshawn Lynch, all these huge personalities. Earl many Thomas, Michael Bennett, Earl keep Thomas, it going. Seriously, many of whom, by the way, are publicly undermining the quarterback, like yes. on purpose. Yeah. And he managed to, to, to completely like, and by the way, also he did all this and obviously it wasn't quite as good after this happened because it's like, this is an impossible situation. It's like the most notorious, terrible Super Bowl loss where everybody is like, this guy fucked it up. He, he's, he, he completely wasted our opportunity to make it a dynasty. This is what a lot of the players are saying. And I know Marshawn Lynch said it after the game, I think like way after the game, like a year after it was like, basically everything changed after that. Um, and he's just managed to like keep an even keel. He's very deliberate and good about like messaging language, like the way that he goes about everything day to day, keeping things fresh by like the the always compete thing, like keeping every, like a lot of this would get stale. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of this would get like stale um, 
over this period of time and players would like check out but like you can see players competing like even this year late in the season players are still competing for him so um you know long-winded way of saying like and i and i was actually having this discussion last night with nate tice who has a very unique uh like i think um perspective on this because his dad was an nfl head coach it's like being a head coach is way 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 more than just like here's the scheme we're gonna run like you have to be able to um connect with and coach and teach with guys from all over the country multi um cultural like white guys black guys guys that have are really really conservative guys that are really really liberal and you have to get all these guys on the same page and be able to like massage all the egos these are all alpha guys you know and so like the ability to do that is really what a coach is it's not just like hey this is a scheme we're going to run because that can only get you so far so i know this is a long-winded way of saying it but it does make me appreciate p carroll what he's been able to do there's a fucking reason he won a national title a national championship and a super bowl he's like one of like three coaches to ever do that um, I think, you know, it, it has sort of made me appreciate him a little bit more. Um, and, and I fully acknowledge that I've been on the roller coaster this year because for a while there, I was like, he's done, but like, I'm back. He's pulled me back in. Yeah, man. And I appreciate you saying that so much because I am guilty of hyper-focusing on in-game decisions that I disagree with from Pete Carroll and that obfuscates the other 90 whatever percent that goes into being an NFL head coach. And, and I, once the season kind of ended, well, not even once the season ended, once they were eliminated from playoff contention, that feeling was sort of like vindicated for me. Whereas like, see, but also it freed me up to see that there is so much more that goes into it. And just to watch those last two games and say, you know what, there's no more this playoff is on the line legacy is on the line like they're out this year i'm just going to watch these two games and see what they are and they were beautiful they were great and it's a reminder that pete carroll not only has the ability to manage all of these disparate personalities and backgrounds that you're talking about he encourages it and that takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of bravery right because you see a lot of nfl coaches who say all right this is how it's going to be you have to fit into my box, and if it doesn't, you're out of here, right? And, you know, I mean, imagine, like, Bill O'Brien, right, getting DeAndre Hopkins out of town because he didn't like how he, you know, conducted his personal life or whatever. It's like, it's Stupid. fucking Nuke yeah. Hopkins. <laughs> like, what, what, are you, <laughs> what are you doing, right? And, and Pete Carroll has given his players – so much leeway to be themselves he believes in it he believes they're going to play their best if they can feel that they are who they are and mm-hmm. and i will admit that i had been recently a bit short-sighted on on that now if it goes poorly again this next year it's time for a switch up but but i'm 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 back on board and and again you know i don't want to be somebody that makes one take one time and then spends the rest of their life defending Dying that on the hill. Yeah, 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 it in you know opposition to new evidence to the contrary. Like, look, we react in real time to the NFL. You're a fan of an NFL team. Every single week changes your trajectory in your mind of where the team is going. And you're right. If you zoom out like a good investor does, you see that it's moving upwards. And, you know, hopefully this is a one-time dip. I will say that for the first time in probably like seven years – the path to the top of the NFC is really, really clear. And, and that gives me a lot of hope. And if they can't capitalize next year, all right, we, maybe it's time to make some change. But I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah. Danny, you have been extremely generous with your time because I know everybody is demanding it. And if it were up to me, I'd keep <laughs> you here for another two hours. But we should probably get out of here. Thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. Um, I, do, I do, like, I, I agree completely with what you said, like, the getting locked into one take thing is like something I'm going to try not to do because I, I have done that in the past where I'm just like, this is my, this is how I feel. This is what I say. And then like, it becomes like a battle between like whoever, like the, the different um, sides of the argument and you just have to like stay to it. It's like, no, I, I, for a while there, I was definitely like, man, this is just so frustrating to watch. Also, by the way, they're going to be ugly to watch. Like, that's just the thing. Um, and this is a team that like their style is just kind of ugly, kind of slow, kind of slog, like, turn the game into a slog. 
and sometimes that's gonna be the case um so that also was like part of the frustration but um like generally speaking man like it, it did also just make me appreciate kind of like Pete Carroll like looking at some of the other just cluster fucks that happen in the NFL coaching um front office stuff so um yeah if, if it doesn't change this year maybe like we re we reassess the direction of the team and maybe Pete Carroll just is getting too old but uh, for now, I'm like actually pretty excited about next year. I, I am finding myself, you know, hopeful that, you know, in this like power vacuum that it is like with Brady gone, you know, where Rogers is going to go, who knows? Um, you know, so it, it's going to be really interesting. Peyton's gone now. Uh, yeah. It, it, the, the thing is just wide open. Be, like Russell Wilson, like now Kyler Murray is like apparently like doing something in Arizona. Who knows what's happening there? Um, it's great NFL off season. Great. Yeah. Stuff. I, I think Russell Wilson's all. I mean, if we're operating on the assumption that Brady and Rodgers are no longer in the NFC, I think Russell Wilson's the best quarterback in the conference. And if you have the yeah. best quarterback in the conference, you can go to a Super Bowl. Seriously, and, and it's like, yeah, um, and, and we don't know what's necessarily going to happen with like the Forty ers Maybe they have to like go down to Trey Lance, and that thing like kind of snowballs, and they turn out to be not very good. Um, a lot of things can change really, really quickly in the NFL. I think is like kind of like the overarching theme here. And Seahawks could be back next year, I think. So um, excited to see how it goes. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Sorry, my voice is so crappy. Uh, like I said, I was like just yelling in a restaurant last night. And I lost my voice. So um, it's just like loud music and whatnot. But yeah. I oh, mean, you, you've been great. And, and look, as I'm sure you undoubtedly know, everyone listening already adores you. But if someone has accidentally stumbled upon this podcast, tell them where they can get more of you, Danny. Yeah, theringer.com, obviously. And the Ringer draft guide is uh, nfldraft.theringer.com. Uh, the Ringer NFL draft show, which is on the Ringer fantasy football show feed. That's a podcast. So um, we're doing like, we're, we're transitioning basically to draft stuff for the next few months. Um, but that is a, that's the show that I do like a couple times a week. So uh, look me up on Twitter. You can find it all there. Danny B. Kelly. Straight up, nobody is better in draft season than Danny Kelly. He won't tell you, so I'm going to tell you. That was awesome, man. We really appreciate you coming on today. I know you're in high demand. We'll let you get back to your fans. For those of you listening, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at, at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. And of course, as always, you can listen to this show and read every article at fuelgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. I know I say it almost every time. Y'all have been incredible with your support. We're eternally grateful for that. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.